Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you from two very, very different locations today. David is in sunny Solihull, but not for too much longer. David, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Very, very delighted that uh, I'm now less than 24 hours away from going, and I do seem to have a mostly packed bag. Great to hear, David. I'm sure it will be a a stress-free trip 24 hours from now. You find Matt and myself in the lounge at Gatwick Airport, around about two hours from takeoff for flight number one of two. It's been a, it's been a bit of a wild experience so far. This journey. Let's just hope better things are ahead. It's. Um, I was. I was called young lady and ma'am, both within the space of about thirty seconds. So, Gatwick Airport giveth and it taketh away. Yes, my passport photo was questioned. Uh, I was questioned about my age. And then when I said 26, the guy said, oh, well, you've got a young face. As though... As though 26 isn't 26 young. 26 isn't young. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, well, we think, which are the compliments and which are the... <laughs> we think the chances of my second suitcase making it to Melbourne are a generous 50-50. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that suitcase is in my name. Mm. Right. It was a it was a bumpy check-in experience. It was, it let's was put it that surreal. way. He started talking about snakes. Yeah. Have you seen any snakes in Australia? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say let's let's focus on the bags here, dude. <laughs> it's bigger. It's bigger fish to fry. But anyway, we are checked in. Uh, we are not far away from boarding, but we have important business to get done before then. We have our weekly pod to record, reviewing the United Cup, the other events that we've had this week as well, Um, seeing where we're at with just a week to go until the first Grand Slam of the year. Um, If you don't already know, just a reminder that Friends of the Tennis Podcast is our membership platform on which we provide bonus editions of the show, 26 of them in 2022. There is already a Tennis Relived, an Australian Open Relived episode up there that we recorded a few days ago. It focuses on Monica Seles' comeback victory in 1996, the one and only slam she won after her appalling stabbing uh, in 1993, of course. And it's um, it's a... It's a harrowing story in lots of places, but it's a fascinating one and it's one that we're very glad that we've told. So that is there waiting for you. As of 12.01 tonight or tomorrow morning, depending on how you look at things, um, a new episode will drop a little bit of a departure for us on the Friends feed. It's a TV review show, yet we have reviewed the first five episodes of Breakpoint, the Drive to Survive style tennis docuseries that is dropping on Netflix at the end of this week. So if you want to hear our review and it is laden with spoilers, uh, then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. And uh, of course, you can get yourself a shout out, an intro. Unfortunately, all the pet slots have been taken and we have big presenter mascot news to come 
at the end of the show. And I, I promise you, it really is big. Yeah, it was a debate over whether to lead the pod with that, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's big news. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll leave that for the end of the pod just to, uh, just to tease you. But if you want to become a friend, then you can do so. The link, as always, is in our show notes. So... The United Cup has finished. It was won by the USA. They beat Italy in the final. They did it very convincingly. Jessica Pagula defeated Martina Trevisan 6-2, 6-4. Francis Tiafo uh, got the better of Lorenzo Musetti, who retired after losing the first set 6-2. And the match of the final, Taylor Fritz beating Matteo Berrettini 7-6, 7-6. Two tie-break sets, no breaks to serve in that match. David's been up since what hour watching tennis, David? 5.30, bit of a lion today. Um, so, um, you know, it's been been quite quite leisurely. Uh, but, you know, the intensity of the tennis, that because it was finals day, because there was the United Cup with several matches, plus the Adelaide final, men and women, the Auckland final, it was suddenly all happening. And actually quite mostly quite spread out just enough so that I could sort of keep across all of it. And it was exhilarating. It was an exhilarating few hours and it really whetted my appetite for the next few weeks. I'll tell you, I'm, I am ready. And they're deserving champions, aren't they, USA? They've they've not been too, too looking back on the tournament as a whole, on reflection, they've not been too troubled no. at any stage, have they? And I was surprised it wasn't a little bit closer, that final. But even so, they were clearly the, the superior team. Yes, I think so. I, I feel like Italy's chances really hinged on uh, trying to win the men's singles matches because certainly the US had a huge advantage with <laughs> Jessica Pagula and Madison Keys in their team. Um, and when Mosetti was injured against Francis uh, Tiafo, that... That was just always then going to be a massive uphill task for Italy. And it's interesting the way that the uh, United Cup sort of do their rankings and their seedings. I think actually Greece were the number one seeds in this competition because they have the two sort of highest ranked singles players in Tsitsipas and Sakari. But actually the competition, because there's so many matches, it does reward depth a lot. And I think the US had the had the most depth in their team and that has paid off because they had top 20 singles players in um, in Fritz and Tiafo and Pagula and Keys and they were just all pretty brilliant. I think Pagula and uh, Fritz in particular in those number one spots, just fantastic tournaments from them and really sets them up to be players to watch at the Australian Open, I think. Yeah, well, well, let's talk about that. The the United Cup from a U Australian Open perspective. We talked about Taylor Fritz quite a lot last week, didn't we? And how he had sort of marked himself out. From my perspective, he continued to do that over the course of the week. That final match he played against Matteo Berrettini, not his best tennis, but hard as nails stuff. He is so tough to beat in a tiebreak. I remember last year, uh, midway through the season, or perhaps it was at Indian Wells actually, his final set tiebreak came to the surface. And I don't quite know what it is now. I think he's lost one or two since then. But it was eye-watering. He'd, he'd barely lost one. I think he'd won 10 in a row or something. And that's kind of the thing, or one of the things you can't teach, isn't it? Producing your best at the biggest moments, because that's tennis, isn't it? Tennis is a sport where you can win fewer points and still win the match, because it's about mm. when you win the points. And he's got that. Yeah, and, and that feels, even even a year on from winning Indian Wells, it feels like it's slightly a new thing, as though he's built upon his aura a little bit and his own sense of his own aura um, in the last six to eight months. And look, he he did have a bit of trouble getting over the line against Berrettini. There were, he had a lot of chances in the last two or three games, which he really probably would, you know, he would probably be debriefing with his team and saying, I should have won that earlier. Um, and he kept on trying to pull the trigger, trigger with the down-the-line backhand because Berrettini was, in the words of Jim Courier, sort of baiting him with his slice backhand cross-court. Go on, go for that backhand down the line, see if you can make it. And he kept missing it um, because he was tight. But all the way through, he didn't lose his serve. And I never thought he was going to lose his serve. You know, he's just... And I don't necessarily think Taylor Fritz massive server, but he's just... He's, he's economical. He, he's reliable. 
And he's also then got a good return game to back it up because he's so strong from the baseline. I really think he is pushing on a door that he wasn't able to before. And Berrettini may be a little tired after the incredible Sitsipas match yesterday, but he was always hanging on. I think it's a very impressive mental performance, isn't it? Because as you said, he did have a lot of break points, especially in that second set to try and get the break and finish it off. And when you don't convert those break points, I always then worry about the next service game. You know, is it going to play on your mind that you didn't take them? And as you said, David, he was just racing through his service games and just kept putting the pressure back on Berrettini to try and hold. I was was really impressed with with Taylor Fritz. And yeah, just on that on that tiebreak record, he won his last four sets in this tournament in tiebreaks, didn't he? Over her, straight sets over Hercak, straight sets over Berrettini, all tiebreaks. He's um, saving his best tennis for the biggest moments. He's he's really impressive at the moment, Fritz. Just looking at that match from a Berrettini perspective, it looked rusty to me. There was good stuff in there, but he he couldn't sustain it. It was patchy. He wasn't serving brilliantly, which you know, if Matteo Berrettini is ever going to fulfil his dreams and win a slam, he's going to need the serve. You know, when you do have a weakness, you need your strengths to be to be firing. And yet he still took Taylor Fritz to two tie-break sets and could very easily have, have squeezed it into a third and, and maybe even more. So it's not disastrous stuff from Berrettini, but I was, I was astonished, even though we know about the horrific season that he had last year and we've speculated about him being a cursed player and I do genuinely fear that he might be. The commentators on that match informed me that he only played six tournaments last season. Six. So of course he's rusty. Maybe the way to look at it is it's it's amazing that he's playing as well as he is because he was, he was very good against Sitsipas, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was. He should have won that match, I thought, in the end. Actually, and fair play, it's a pass for turning that around because I didn't see him doing that. Um, but there is a very clear group, established group now that feels like they've, they're continually just building their reputation a little bit. And Fritz and Norrie and Berrettini... Sits the past still in there, but they f- it feels like a group now. It doesn't feel just like uh, the big three and then Zverev and Sitsipas as it did for a while. Now it feels like a, a chunk of people that have, are pushing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really quite excited to see that because in front of the Australian crowd, the crowds were, I know there were, there's a national element to it, but they were so into it. They were so into Berrettini's matches because he's he's that kind of player. He doesn't he doesn't let you down, does he? And yet he still plays spectacular stuff at times. And yeah, I think they're they're building their reputations and they're building the kind of connection with with the audience over there now. Mm, it was it was a great match that Berrettini sits a pass match, wasn't it? Probably the men's match of the tournament, perhaps. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my brain of of others. I enjoyed Sitsipas against Chorich as well. I mm. thought that was interesting. Because, I love the baggage that, yeah. that they both carry into that matchup. It's delicious. It, it's why we love rivalries because there's there's so much history there. And Chorich looked like he was going to do the same thing to Sitsipas that he's done before in terms of going behind and then coming back to to win it. He saved a couple of match points, took it into a third set, built a lead in that third set. And credit to Sitsipas, who was unbeaten this week, wasn't he? And he played some really tight matches. Um, he 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 was delighted to finally get a proper win over Chorich. He'd never actually won match point over Chorich, I think. His, his one win before, I think, was via retirement. And that meant a lot to him, I think. I, I still feel like there are vulnerabilities in the game of Sitsipas that people are really targeting now. Mm. Still the backhand, still the return of serve. It feels like there's a way to play Sitsipas now and people have sort of cottoned on to it. But I was really impressed with his determination and his fight and just the, the ability to win those matches. Um, I, I thought he, he, he had an excellent week, especially with a lot of pressure on him because he knew that Greece's hopes sort of do rest with him and and Zachary winning all their matches, so he had to win. So there's an extra pressure there as well. And yeah, he was impressive. And I agree with David. There's a really interesting group of players forming there. And you know, obviously Novak Djokovic is the standout 
favourite for the Australian Open and whatever side of the draw he's not on, I think is going to end up being fascinating because there could be three, four, five players all all within a really uh, good chance of thinking that they can reach the final. There was quite a lot of opportunity to see the Tsitsipas Apostolos Philippousis trifecta in action this week, wasn't there? Um, look, he's... He's hung around in that trifecta longer than other sort of secondary voices that have come into the team have done. Um, and I think he, he serves a slightly different function than, say, Thomas Enquist did when he came onto the team. Obviously, he's contributing sort of tactically and technically, but I think there's also a sort of mentorship uh, element with Philippousis and Sitsipas as well. My concern is always you know, who's steering the ship and it's it's Apostolos and I do think there's a a toxic element to that. You know, when, when the going gets tough, he, he turns into a bit of a teenager and I, I'm not sure how you can break that cycle while you still have your parents courtside because his mum's always there as well. His mum's always there watching all of his practices. Um, so it's not that I don't think Philippousis is, is a great addition to that team. I just... I worry about the inf- the material influence he's actually able to have within that structure. What do you think, David? Well, it was absolutely fascinating to watch it this particular week because, first of all, the, the Greece team is just chaotic around Sitsipas. <laughs> I, how he he he! I think we underestimate how well he he composes himself given all the stuff and the voices and the noise going on around him at any one time and actually his dad's the one who's doing most of it his dad is so nervous and so so desperate for his son to win that he can't keep quiet he can't shut up he can't keep out of it and there was a moment where Sitsipas had won a set six love against Chorich and Apostolos has given him all sorts of directions and Philip was in the commentary box and said you know, I think probably now's the time to just let let him get on with it. And, and I mean, look, I don't really like p- coaches being in the commentary box talking about their player. I, I think that that shouldn't happen as a rule. But this week, it Philippoussis managed to make that work. And he was so candid about Apostolos. He, there were a number of times where he was saying, listen, he's a... He's a big guy with a big serve. He just needs to keep it simple. He doesn't need all this direction. And and I thought, God, we're just hearing the real thing here. God, I I, I really want to know who sits a pass is with just Philippoussis in his corner. All due respect to Apostolos, and I know... I, how do you fire your dad? I, I don't envy anybody and I don't judge anybody for not being able to, to do that, even if objectively it seems like the right thing. Um, but it bothers me that that we might not ever know that. Yeah, it's possible. Everyone's just everyone's just nodding. Doesn't work on a podcast, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Cosine. Okay. Uh, any other men's matches we want to talk about from the week before we move on to the women's? Less so a match and more just um, a format thing, I suppose, in that I, I just find the week that Lorenzo Mazzetti just had kind of fascinating on the verge of a Grand Slam where he's played four opponents in his first four matches and if you take their average ranking, it's 393, those four opponents, which is you know slightly lowered by the fact that I think the Greek player he beat is somewhere in the 800s. But really, you're sort of thinking, what is the point of those matches for Lorenzo Mazzetti? And maybe the point is ranking points. You know, that's that's an easy it's an easy set of ranking points that he just got there. However, he's then finally got in a position where he's playing a strong number two in Francis Tiafo, who was also really impressive this week, I think. And I'm interested by him at the Australian Open too. But Mazzetti then gets injured and he's got a shoulder problem. So his week has been playing a load of people that he's beaten very, very easily and then retiring in the one match that actually felt like it was something that might help him in the future. And I'm sort of questioning whether that's a format issue. Like, we did talk about that a bit with the ATP Cup as well. Like, if the if the number two singles players aren't, aren't strong enough, is there, if there isn't enough depth, it does mean that you get some slightly odd 
matches for the good number two players. And just wonder whether Mazzetti next year will commit to the event if he knows he's always going to be the Italian number two. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is there, but it's just a, just an observation I had from from this week. That something about the format that didn't seem quite right and it's obviously kind of copied from the ATP Cup I didn't feel like it was quite right then um, maybe the way is the, to grow the event and eventually you will get teams fielding their strongest number one and two players and you will get stronger number two singles players but yeah kind of just a strange week for Mazzetti on the on the verge of a grand slam where you feel like okay now's the time for him to really make some progress he's, he's played a bunch of people he would you know, beat in his sleep and uh, he's picked up an injury. It's like going into the Australian Open with a couple of wins over Solihull Simon <laughs> and uh, a bit of a hamstring strain. <laughs> You're describing um, my week I again. W- <laughs> I propose a motion. Um, how do we feel about the idea of the United Cup uh, being more Hotman Cup-like? No second singles just men's player, women's player, mixed doubles. I mean, I, I maybe just, maybe maybe that doesn't work because they need the volume of matches. I think they to do. I think they do fill the schedule, but I think they do for that, and I think they do in order to get the tours on on board with this. That's that's the issue. You know, the 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 tours need to provide enough matches for players. I mean, they've already got an issue, I suppose, because the doubles players can't really play it because they don't really get an opportunity. It's either one little mixed doubles or nothing. Um, it's it's not a perfect scenario. That's, that is a problem. Um, overall, I think, I think five is right. I think I would change the scoring system a bit, and I would certainly want to put the mixed doubles in the middle of the, of the five every time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court says in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Let's talk about the women's a little bit and in particular Jessica Pagula because not only did she contribute massively to the United States winning the United Cup overall victory for her 
this morning in her, well, not morning, Australian time, morning, our time, uh, victory for her 6264 over Martina Trevisan. But that's not, that's not the eye-catching one, is it, folks? The eye-catching one is the straight sets victory over Iga Sviantek. This wasn't just an upset for me. This was, this felt really seismic because I think I watched, if not all of Sviantek and Pagula's matches last year, a lot of all of them or almost all of them. I really feel like I know that matchup in and out. And I've seen Pagula play pretty much her best against Sviantek and it just not, not working. You know, the matchup just not working. I was really surprised by this result. Did she do something different? Has she discovered a cheat code? Has she found a template that others can copy to be eager Sviantek? What, or has Sviantek dropped off a bit from her dominant best? What has changed? Well, you're right. It was one of those uh, score lines that I woke up to and had to sort of adjust my eyes to think, Wait, six two, six two for Pagula over Sviantek. I need to, I need to catch up on this. I need to watch what happened, how it happened, and I think a very, a very big difference in this match compared to their other matches was that it was on a fast court, and it was actually indoors as well because it was raining in in Sydney. So it was an indoor fast court basically, which they haven't played on before. They've played on lots of slow courts. And I think those have really benefited Sviantek in the matchup. But even so, you still have to perform in, in conditions that favour you. And my goodness, Pagula was astonishingly good. It was, you know, all those words like sort of redlining. It was all of that for 70 minutes. And because she's so sort of calm and balanced and almost nonplussed on the court, it felt really sustainable. It didn't feel like she was playing out of her skin because, and you felt like it was going to go off any moment. It felt repeatable and reliable. She absolutely destroyed Sviantek's serve, first and second serve in the match. I think Pagula won two thirds of the return points, just dominated Sviantek, rushed Sviantek. And um, look, Sviantek wasn't at her best. She was making quite a lot of errors. She was very, very upset afterwards. She was in tears. Agnieszka Radovanska on the bench was consoling her. It, it reminded me of Sviantek after she lost to Paola Badosa at the Olympics um, 18 months ago or so, where I think just a reminder that, you know, as kind of as dominant as she is, there is, there is some fragility not that far underneath the surface with her but no one's been able to really bring it out of her because she's been so dominant but Pagula was fantastic and so so clear in how she needed to play I think the I think the surface just made it obvious that there was literally only one thing to do and that was to hit the ball flat and hard and take Sviantek's time away and she never wavered and she was awesome and she was also awesome against Harriet Dart, and she won, a de- won again today against Trevisan. And to me, I know we've often ummed and ahed about whether whether Pagula is sort of in the mix at a slam because we oh, we sort of trust in her. The mix mention. You know, we trust her to reach her seeding and get to the quarters or the semis. For me, a big win over Sviantek takes her up a level in my mind. And I think if Sviantek's not quite at her best, which you know, maybe she's not, but then she wasn't before the US Open either and she won that. But to me, Pagula is in the mix for the Australian Open. I was that impressed by her in um, in the United Cup this week. I feel the same. I feel the same. I, I'm, I'm glad Matt brought up the mix. If he if he hadn't, I was going to. David's wearing his in the mix. He's wearing uh, his in the mix T-shirt. T-shirt. I, because I think of Pagula as a great, great player that has a ceiling and has incrementally increased that ceiling over the course of the last couple of years, but is always going to have that ceiling. And I feel like I watched her smash through that ceiling against Fiontech. And okay, she's not going to be able to redline at Purple Patch it every single match. You know, you do have to... Yeah, I mean, she was... She was at the limits, I think, of her. So she was... Her head was touching the ceiling... <laughs> No, this is a very mixed me- metaphor, isn't it? I've just said she smashed through the ceiling. Um, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I feel like there was an X factor that I hadn't seen before. J- just on Svantec, 
was she fully fit? Because I believe she was due to play next week. Adelaide 2. Yeah, Adelaide 2. It's all very pandemic-y again. I, Isn't it? I, it's all a bit COVID. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but I believe she pulled out of that with a shoulder issue. Now, she may just decide she wanted some extra rest, be fresh, all the rest of it. A lot, you know, a lot of players do. Um, and just in terms of a level, I didn't watch the match like yourself. I woke up to it, but I saw a tweet from our good friend, American Andrew, who I immediately texted because he's from... He's a, from Buffalo. She's from Buffalo. He follows every one of our matches. He's our Pagula correspondent. He was, he he educated us about Jessica exactly. Pagula. And and I asked him, well, you know, what was this? Was this she playing out of her mind better than you've ever seen, or is this Fiontek putting in a terrible performance? He said Pagula's level was high. I would say the best I've seen from her by a lot. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the court conditions that you referenced, Matt, she she recognised those, her team did. So that, But this was, that's the one thing I would say, this was perfect scenario for Jessica Pagula to win that match. Is it going to be replicated in Melbourne? I would say she's also in the mix, but I am still a little hesitant to, to read one relating to the other automatically. Just on Svantec, I'm not saying this doesn't mean she's she's injured. Um it doesn't mean she's not injured. Um but I I would it was surprising for me that she was ed, ever entered into Adelaide given that she was playing a tournament this week where she was guaranteed matches. She got more than the minimum matches because Poland reached the the city final. And the semi-final. Semi-final, yeah. yeah. So she, she got four singles matches, um, which is which is plenty, I think, for, for a player of, of her calibre before a Grand Slam. I'd have been very surprised, fit or not, if she had played Adelaide 2 next week. Doesn't mean she's not injured. She could be injured on top of that, but we might not know for, for a week's time. And, and on the... The emotion that she showed after the match, I'm really torn about this because on one hand, I think I'm really reluctant to read too much into a woman in particular showing very raw emotion on the court because there's a difference between having a lot of emotion and expressing a lot of emotion openly. Just because we're seeing it from her doesn't mean other people aren't experiencing it internally in exactly the same the same way. But equally... I think ignoring it and not reading into it at all is not quite right because, you know, it's one loss. <laughs> it's one loss to a very, very good player in, in particular conditions that you'd expect her to have a confidence so robust that she could she could brush it off. Um, and that, that wasn't brushing it off. That looked like a real sort of crisis it might have been one that only lasted a few minutes and then she brushed it off but what we were able to see what we were privy to looked like you know the world was crashing down around her for a few minutes and that is a bit a little bit alarming as as Matt said what frailty um so and that that gives opponents something to pick at doesn't it you know that that just erodes the locker room aura a tiny bit, I think. And locker room aura is such a factor for players of her type, dominant dominant players. Um, and the, 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 I would, she's still my favourite for the Australian Open. I think she has to be. But I wouldn't take Igor Swiatek over the field. Whereas I think I would take Novak Djokovic over the field for the men's right now. We've just watched him. From the check-in queue and from the taxi, Matt and I, on a very, very small screen, have watched him come back from match point down to defeat Seb Sebi Sebastian Corda uh, in the third set to win Adelaide 1. I mean, what a perfect week for Novak Djokovic. The perfect preparation for the Australian Open. Could not have scripted it better, I don't think. No, I agree. And I think uh, pretty pretty smart of him to start in Adelaide. I think he doesn't normally play a sort of warm-up event like this in Australia before the Australian Open, apart from HP Cup in the last couple of years. But, you know, let's not forget the last time 
Novak Djokovic was in Australia, he had a, well, a pretty harrowing experience, really. Um, he, he ended up in a immigration hotel, didn't he? And he was deported. And I think he spoke openly about the sort of struggles that came after that for him for a few months in terms of how it was still in his mind. I can imagine that if he'd just gone straight back to Melbourne and tried to play the Australian Open straight away, that might have still been there a little bit as well. So I think smart scheduling from him, as you would expect, to go somewhere else, not Melbourne first. And he, he received a huge amount of support there. It felt like, felt like his fans had sort of come out in force to sort of make a point that they were happy to be seeing him again. And I think, I think he just loved the environment. And to get wins like he did over certainly the ones I saw, Shapovalov, it was just a classic Novak Djokovic versus Daniel Shapovalov match. Not too much to say about that. But Daniil Medvedev, he really beat Medvedev pretty easily. Those matches are normally a sort of deadlock and there's very little between them and the rallies are long and extended. And we talk a lot about Djokovic's defence, but he cut through Medvedev with his with his offence so easily. Medvedev doesn't have the resilience anymore. He, he doesn't. Does he? He doesn't. Um, and then to get this win over Sebastian Corda in such dramatic fashion, just to sort of heighten his um, match instincts and match sharpness. I think it's a pretty perfect win for Djokovic, who I believe has now won 34 matches in a row in Australia. The last time he lost was uh, when he lost to Hyung Chung. I was still at university. I remember watching watching that match in, my, in my student stats. accommodation. That was 2018. With, yeah. your, with your young face. With my young, I did have a young face then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, extraordinary. He loves he loves playing. Is that Australia. before or after your passport photo is taken? <laughs> after. <laughs> <laughs> there was there were, our our not particularly competent check in guy was was dubious mm. about Matt was the man featured was in his who passport. I said I was. Mm. <laughs> anyway, Anyway, Djokovic. Yeah, he's just, just he's looking the, great. And who who can stop him, David? On Djokovic. D- when he beat David's Medvedev, ignoring that did, question and asking his own question. Did, did he beat him with with the drop shot, or did he hit him off the court? Well, well, he kind of did everything. He did yeah. a lot of uh, serve volley, actually, which we saw him do against Medvedev in Paris before, didn't we? Because there was a moment where Djokovic went off court because he had a little injury to his uh, hamstring, I think it was. And it did seem to affect him for for a little bit, but then I think it, you know, I think he took some painkillers and he was absolutely fine by the end of that match. Medvedev was kind of trolling him a little bit, I think, saying, "Well, where's this injury?" He was he sort was of trolling him, clutching his hamstring, pretending to limp, smiling over. I mean, they seemed absolutely fine at the net. There was it wasn't a frosty handshake at all. But um, he served brilliantly. I mean, Novak Djokovic's serve. Is it underrated? Because I, th- I feel like we talk about it a lot these days, but it, it, is, it is so good. Um, and Medvedev didn't really get close to it. Medvedev double-faulted on, on the two great points to allow Djokovic to win the match, just as you were saying, that sort of lack of resistance. He sort of gave it up a bit easily. Um, but yeah, it was a weird match, not the sort of match you expect between them. But, you know, you would say Medvedev is one of Djokovic's biggest rivals at this Australian Open, and that is got to be such a confidence boosting win for him to beat him so straightforwardly I think. He looks the same as he did at the end of last season to me Janelle Medvedev burnt out a little bit hollow behind the eyes and maybe that is to be expected because he hasn't really had an off season he he played that exhibition in Saudi Arabia didn't he I think he might have played one other as well he's he's pretty much played right through maybe he's planning you know, as as Matt was saying a, a couple of podcasts ago, it, it might become fashionable to have an off-season post-Australian Open pre-Indian Wells. Maybe he's planning that. Um, but he he certainly doesn't look like he's come out refreshed at the start of 2023, which to me is to the detriment of tennis. I want to see a fully firing Daniil Medvedev that's just prepared to go toe-to-toe with people like Djokovic and say, OK, beat me. It didn't looked like he had it in him to quite have that attitude yesterday and and that's that's a shame shame to see for me like i don't think he's going to 
drop out of the picture completely to to reach that semi-final he you know he was don't think he dropped a set up to that point it was pretty you know competent straightforward stuff I think I expect him to stay a top 10 player but he was world number one a few months ago and I don't think any of us predicted the the total drop off from that point um, that we've uh, we've seen just on Sebastian Corder Sebi Seb we don't well know him well enough yet. We're going to stick with Sebastian for a while. Um, uh, my brother was... We, we were texting with my brother uh, throughout the course of that second set when it was nip and tuck and Sebastian Corder looked, looked like he wasn't going to blink. You know, he, he's got that really still waters vibe about him, doesn't he? Look like... Didn't look like someone that was that was going to choke. And my brother piped up with, I almost think Djokovic deliberately lets these pretenders have a brief sniff in order to inflict more lasting psychological damage. And I, I think he's, you know, exaggerating to make a point. I don't think there is anything deliberate about Djokovic, you know, letting Sebastian Corda to get to match point. But I totally see the point. And I think my question is, is it, would it have, been more damaging for Sebastian Corder just to have been beaten three and four or three and two by Novak Djokovic in that final and to go away thinking okay Djokovic is a better player than me I've got to improve (laughs) or is it more damaging to lose from match point up a match that he probably shouldn't have won and accumulate the psychological damage that a defeat like that does added to the, the defeat to Nadal in Indian Wells last year, and I think he served for it twice. What do we think? Gosh, that's such an interesting question because my my instinct is to think it's better to be close, yeah. uh, but but that's the same uh, train of thought I had with Maria Sakkari in 2021 when she was so close to to winning some big matches at Slams and actually. Yeah, didn't didn't get better in those big moments and has now sort of actually kind of got worse in them and it's it's a real problem and she reveals in the the netflix documentary we can't say too much because it's it's embargoed until tonight and if you want to hear our full, full review you can become a friend of the pod but she gives a real insight into how hard she took that defeat to krejcikova mm. at the french open and it's even harder than we than we thought but I do think with Corda, we're at the stage where it's not baggage yet because there hasn't there hasn't been enough of it. I don't think. G- generally, I'm really impressed that he ran it that close against Novak Djokovic, and he also beat Murray in straight sets, Bautista Agu in straight sets, Yannick Sinner in straight sets. This was a start of the season I didn't see coming for Corda at all. I think he's had a he's had a brilliant week. He pushed Djokovic more than I thought, so. And and also he didn't fall away after dropping that second set, you know, and having the match point. I thought he was going to be three love down at the start of the third, but actually he held on, he made it close, and it was only right at the end that Djokovic sort of did manage to finally get the crucial break. But I don't know, what do you think, David? I think you probably watched that match more closely, given that uh, yeah, I I saw it on a on a small screen in a in a stressful check-in we, situation. We were distracted oh. by uh, an incompetent check-in uh, official asking <laughs> us about snakes. <laughs> I was very impressed with Corda, um, and actually, if you look at the the scoreline, two tiebreak sets, a six-four set. He very nearly won. He had a match point. He he won the first set despite having six or seven set points that he didn't take, and he managed to fight off a couple that Djokovic had. I thought that showed mental strength and maturity. I, I think in terms of where to stand on whether it's good news to be that close, I definitely think it is good news, but I think the key is the personality involved and there are some players that it could damage and they may never come back from there are others like Taylor Fritz has had losses like that to Novak Djokovic and yet I I think he's a better player two years on from some of those losses so I think you can rebuild if you're the right type of personality I definitely think Seb Corder is he's his languid composed sort of centered self as a player and a person, I think he's going to stand him in really good stead because the the, the biggest weakness he's got is the movement. And it's he's not a bad mover. It's just that he's not an explosive mover. Um, and, and as long as he can get to the ball, he's so balanced and fluid with his strokes and he can volley. 
He needs to make that serve more of a weapon. But I tell you, this guy is really going places, I think, after what I've seen this week. He's got a great kick serve, hasn't he? Really good mm. second serve. Um, and as you say, when he's in position, the sound the ball makes off his racket is just lovely. I, I might make a point this tournament of going to watch him really close up courtside so I can That's a good idea. hear that carrot being snapped in half sound. It's it's so clean. It's lovely. Um, the women's event in Adelaide won. <laughs> it's been won by Arena Sabalenka. Uh, six three seven six for her over Linda Noskova, the Czech qualifier, former junior number one, somebody who came to matinize attention at the French Open last year in a match that she played against Emma Raducanu, a huge hitter of the ball, um, just like the woman that beat her today, <laughs> Arena Sabalenka. What are we all going to do with I Arena Sabalenka? I am so Sabalenka worried about what to do with Arena Sabalenka. Predictions. Yeah, I've got I've got a whole flight to think about what to do with Arena Sabalenka because that is actually two tournaments in a row now. If you go back to the WTA finals where she reached the final and had some big results, and and here where she's you know she's had her game together and put it together consistently, and that's what I've been missing. You know, if she's if she's able to find some level of consistency, watch out for Arena Sabalenka because we know how good the peak is. You know, she can beat anyone on her day with that, with that power and that game. And credit to her because it was in Adelaide last year, wasn't it, I think, where the serving woes and yips really sort of came to everyone's attention for the first time. Just a huge amount of double faults in those matches. She has done so much work in the last year to put herself in this position now where it's it's under control and she's able to win titles like this i'm i'm full of admiration for her but scared about what to do with her in the predictions i, I looked at the serving stats um today because i was curious you know 12 months on how do they compare first three matches she was around 70 percent first serves in um, wow. You know, and sixty high sixties, early seventies, and then today was not so good. She was she was only about fifty fifty, um, and yet, I mean, look against a real talent in Noskova, she she won relatively straightforwardly and uh, definitely looked in a good place. Sabalenka on the court, yeah, she is one to watch though, Noskova for sure. She's another one. It, it... I don't want to make sort of lazy Czech comparisons. I know Sebastian Corder is is half Czech via via his father Peter Corder, but um, big hitter, lovely striker of the ball. Movement is the is the question mark. Um, but she looks like the real deal to me. Yes, I, I think so. And I was impressed that um, she won some really tight matches. I think she saved a match point in qualifying. She saved a match point against Azarenka, I think, as well. Uh, played a bit of a sort of slightly odd match against Ons Jabur. Jabur looked to have picked up a bit of a back injury in that one. and But then she did also have matches where she was in a purple patch against Kasakina. I think she hit over 60 winners across the three sets. It's such a good strike on the ball. And she seems, as you said, that, you know, she's quite short and sharp in her answers and in her interviews. She she sort of knows who she is, I think, as a tennis player, and um, that's quite impressive for someone someone so young. And uh, yeah, definitely one to watch. I think she's in qualifying for the Australian Open. I think her ranking was was outside the top 100 when the cutoff was, and there hasn't quite been enough uh, withdrawals yet. And she didn't get a wild card, so I think I think she's in. It's qualifying. a very low cutoff, isn't it? Because they've had so few withdrawals mm. this year. Over in Auckland, Coco Goff won the title without dropping a set, defeated Rebecca Masarova 6-1-6-1 in the final. She was the favourite to win the title at the start of the week. She won the title. She's in the mix, right? I'm going to go to the man with the in-the-mix jumper on. Yeah, I mean, look, she did everything she's supposed to do and she did it emphatically. I think she only lost 22 games all week. You know, these, these were just hammering. She was meeting out to people. But she was playing all players, aside from Sophia Kenin, which was the only player who got her even remotely close in set, 6-4, six, 6-4 four, six, four in that. But these were all players she's supposed to beat. So I don't get a sense. I have no real evidence or data of as to whether she solved some of the technical issues she's had on the forehand side for instance and with the serve but look you can only do what you've 
you're sent out to do. They had horrible conditions in Auckland. She's inside, outside, rain, wind, the lot. She won the title easily. Yes, I was reminded of uh, Serena Williams's word to describe the Auckland conditions. What was it, five years ago when she lost to Madison Brengel in a sort of hurricane of unforced errors and um, she described them as abhorrent mm. and, then, and then actually went back there a few years later and, and Serena was the defending champion because Auckland hadn't been played since, since 2020. It was a... Yeah, so many of those matches were indoors. It's but the one and only title she won after having yeah, Olympia, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Um, so what a sort of journey she went on with Auckland in those three years. Um, but Goff, I would say, I was impressed because the last time we saw Goff was uh, WTA Finals and Billie Jean King Cup. Her forehand was, was a total mess. You know, she couldn't, she couldn't make it. I agree that we don't really know whether, whether she's fixed it because I think it mainly sort of the issues come out when she plays better players and they're able to sort of expose it. When she's confident, she can cover it up, hide it a little bit more and use other parts of her game. But good that, good that it wasn't, you know, back straight away. And also, as good a season as she had last year, incredible singles and doubles, she didn't win a title. Um, I think her, her, her previous title that she won was Palmer, I think, in 2021. So just a nice sort of step already to have mm. made at the start of this season to get a title, get that winning winning feeling. Uh, because, you know, we, we talk about it a lot, but most tennis players lose every week. And it's just a good feeling, I think, to, mm. to go into the Australian Open without a loss. So really, really good start to the year for Coco Golf. Uh, in Pune at the ATP event, Talon Greekspool won the title. I found out via the uh, Did Marin Cilic Win Today Twitter account that my prediction for the week had had not been successful. <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> it's a really brutal way to find out. And, and I didn't I didn't see too much of Pune, but Greekspool is always on my list of why are you not slightly why aren't you better? better? He's yeah. got a lovely game, very complete. He can come forward. I've seen him quite a lot in Davis Cup. Um, he's, uh, he's in his mid-twenties. Maybe he's going to be one of these sort of slightly later bloomers. He, is a, he does have the physique of a later bloomer, doesn't he? Ag agricultural, you, <laughs> you might say. Oh, I'm, I'm on my way to watch him. <laughs> um, right then, before we wrap up to literally go and catch a plane, a few other bits and bobs of news. A lot of it not good, I'm afraid, from, from the tennis world ahead of the Australian Open. Uh, you've probably heard by now, but Carlos Alcaraz, the world number one, is out of the first Grand Slam of the year. Uh, injured a muscle in his right leg through a chance unnatural movement in training. It's just one of those things, by the sounds of it. He, I get the impression that he was trying to make up for, for lost time with the abdominal injury, training really hard ahead of the Australian Open and maybe just pushed it too far. I don't... I, I've no idea, but... Gutted. Gutted. Absolutely uh, just... gutted about that one. Or about all of these withdrawals, actually. Um, yeah, spoiler alert, there's yeah. a few more. <laughs> Gosh, I just... I, yeah, it, what can you say? It is, it's such a blow to that men's tournament. I don't even think I would say I wanted Alcaraz Djokovic. I feel like I needed it. You know, I just... You know, he's, he's, since he's become world number one, he's had to pull out of the two biggest events, you know, the ATP finals and the Australian Open. Just such, such a shame. I was so ready for Alcaraz in a, in a slam again. There was... There wasn't a player who was more fun than him on the men's side in, in slams last year. It now means that Rafael Nadal will be the top seed in Melbourne. And it means that one of Novak Djokovic, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud and one other. I think Alcaraz can still Alcaraz be can one. Yeah, one of those four will be world number one in three weeks' time. We've also had the sad, if not unsurprising, news that Naomi Osaka has withdrawn from the Australian Open. No reason given. Uh, the Australian Open Twitter account just said, we'll miss you. Um, we know she'd been touring Europe with her boyfriend. She'd been in the States. It, it, it never looked as if she had any intention of, of travelling. I am starting to wonder if we'll ever see Naomi Osaka play tennis again. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. But it is... 
a definite possibility and it's it's almost sort of too sad to com- contemplate yeah yeah it's it's a definite scenario and personally it feels it feels very weird for me to be going to australia and not having Naomi Osaka in the draw she's been such a feature of the Australian Open when I've been there just into you know she won the title the first time I went she's played some great matches I just associate Naomi Osaka with the Australian Open so much and yeah just feels like such a shame one of my standout Naomi Osaka memories and I sort of hate to talk about her like this because it already feels like Naomi Osaka relived doesn't it but when she came here after I think it must have been at the start of 2019 uh, or perhaps the start. Anyway, she, she'd won the US Open and she came here and she said, I'd love a rival. You know, it was her at, her at the top of the game. I don't know if she was actually world number one, but she felt like the dominant player. And, you know, it was almost like, who's going to join you? Who's going to challenge you? And she had this twinkle in her eye and she said, oh, I'd really, really love a rival to, to emerge. And goodness me, we we feel so far away from that now. Uh, Venus Williams is also out of the Australian Open. She won a match uh, in Auckland. She then lost one, 7-5 in the third. Uh, She had been winning that match. And then the match was moved indoors because they had a horrific week in Auckland last week with the weather. And she injured herself during what, yeah, you've written here, David, honestly felt like a cursed tournament. It did, didn't it? They struggled in Auckland last week. It had a real Queen's nightmare, Queen's year energy about it, weather-wise. Um, you've written, has any tournament ever experienced so much rain? I mean, I, you know, it feels like something we're going to get some, emails about. I've got some history, you know, if I think about <laughs> it. Obviously, many, many years at Queen's, obviously watched Wimbledon my whole life. I've seen a lot of rain, a lot of tennis tournaments. I, mean, the, I was in Gestard one week and we were still in the, first round on quarterfinals day so it was it was just horrendous and we were doing press conferences every day to talk about contingencies and whatever i don't think i've ever seen anything quite like this because they were literally going indoors to play first second quarterfinals all the rest of it that is really unusual you might take you might take qualifying indoors but to be taking virtually the whole tournament indoors that's that's miserable and grim and i really feel sorry for them there's a men's event in Auckland this week. And oh, is it? If I, I mean, if I were in that tournament, I think I would be pulling out. I don't Can't want. Rouge, I don't want any who, business of that weather the week before said, the Australian Open. Schwartzman arrived and has had literally three days of rain. I saw on his Instagram. Casper Ruud, who could be world number one in three weeks' time, is playing Auckland this week. Mm. Was, I don't think that's what a world number one does. Personally, Whereas Holger Rune has has Holger withdrawn. withdrawn, having got his one one match, one, one loss, one loss. He's off to the he's Australian like, Open. It's all right. I've got what I need. Um, we also but, but can I just say, gutted about Venus Williams. Yeah, I was really just looking forward to her being at the Australian Open again. That is Kev, Kev, some more gutting same. news. Go, go for we're, it. <laughs> we're on a roll. Uh, Emma Raducanu. Um, after winning the first set six love against Victoria Kuzmova, uh, also indoors this one, and a close second set, she rolled an ankle, retired in tears. It was really tough scenes in in Auckland. She's travelled to Melbourne, but there's a significant doubt over whether she'll be able to play. She was very critical of the indoor courts afterwards. She said it's tough to take. I've put a lot of physical work in the last few months and I've been feeling good and optimistic. So to be stopped by a freak injury, rolling an ankle is pretty disappointing in the first week as well. I thought I was playing some pretty decent tennis. The courts are incredibly slick, very slippery. So it's not a surprise that this happened to someone. The the tournament responded to that. ASB Classic boss Nicholas Lamperin fired back at Emma Raducanu after she criticised the indoor surface. Uh, injuries happen all the time and it could have happened on in- outdoor courts as well. We feel sorry about the situation, but we also say these courts are fit to play. The courts have been checked and we've had a number of matches on the indoor courts. We haven't had an injury apart from yesterday. As far as the tournament is concerned, with the support of the referee and the supervisor, we are able to play and use this court. I do feel for her. Um, I really do feel for her because, you know, she targeted physical fitness 
in the off season, didn't she? She she was fed up with having to retire from from so many matches last year to to various different to, to her body adjusting to to her first full year on tour. And it sounds to me like she'd put in the work and made real strides and she sustained an injury that, you know, she describes herself as just one of those freak things that can happen to anybody. Sees Vera at, at the French Open last year and it's just a massive slice of bad luck. Uh, we've had uh, a bit of news from the US Davis Cup team. Uh, we have Davis Qu Cup qualifiers the weekend after the conclusion of the Australian Open and the USA has picked a team that does not feature either Taylor Fritz or Francis Tiafo. Perhaps not surprising as I expect both of those two are planning to go deep at the Australian Open. Uh, but the team also isn't captain by Mardi Fish. Uh, it does seem that I think they've, they've said by mutual agreement uh, the team has decided to go in a different direction with its captaincy. What direction exactly that is, we don't know. Uh, watch this space. But it did it did feel like this was inevitable after what happened uh, in Mallorca at the end of last year. And uh, a an addendum to all that is that Rajiv Ram is back in the team. So he must feel a treme <laughs> tremendous sense of, of victory and vindication over the whole episode. And I think that's pretty much it for our news. And it needs to be pretty much it because... Go to gate, I think the sign might be saying. The sign says go <laughs> to gate. Do we have time, Matt, for the big reveal of the presenter mascots? Well, I think we have to, don't we? I think because, we have to. Um, they'll hold the flight, I'm sure. This is big news. <laughs> um, well, what, what happens with the presenter mascots is the, the three come in and then Matt approaches them in the order that they they came in, in the order that they took up their, their presenter mascot ships. Matt contacts them and offers them the choice of who they would like to mascot for the year. Tell us what happened, Matt. That is right. So I got in touch with Norton, first of all, uh, who signed up at the presenter mascot level, and he put forward his lovely beagle, in San Diego, Zenia, and Zenia chose Catherine. She's gorgeous. I was delighted. Also love the name. She's she's got a very characterful face. I love a beagle. They've got a lot of personality. Great. It's all great so far. And it gets better. Lots of photos to come in the newsletter this week of all these mascots. I then contacted Carrie. Now, Carrie is a <laughs> familiar name because Carrie is Darwin's owner. Darwin, who was David's mascot last year. So Darwin was, was faced with a choice. Continue with, with David or switch to me. And... The big news is that Darwin has switched allegiance. Fed up with David finishing last in the predictions. Darwin's gone to a winner, gone to me. We're off to a flying start with Coco Goff in Auckland. Darwin's made some great life choices. Darwin is my mascot for the year. David, how which do we is, feel which is about a, it's that? It's a brilliant turn of events. The, the, only, the only shame about it, 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 it would... The real cherry on the cake here would be if David w ended up with, like, a lizard or something. <laughs> but unfortunately, David's ended up with a really cute dog. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind a lizard. I'd be happy, I'd be happy with anything except uh, except Darwin. Uh, no, um, but uh, you, you've changed, Matt Roberts. Honestly, I remember when you used to be nice. Um, but... Well, Darwin, what can I say? I, I was I was delighted to have you as my mascot. <laughs> and um, bring it on is now, all I can say in the newsletter. Now you've got Maisie, David. Yeah, I've and... got Maisie. I, I am delighted with Maisie. I am thrilled. And uh, Maisie, you and I need to get our heads together. we got some winning to do. <laughs> Maisie's got a real Billie Jean energy about her. Yes, I, be, I believe she's a Norfolk Terrier. Norfolk Terrier, yeah. Yeah, um, owned by Thomas. So yeah, lots of lots of photos to come in the newsletter. But yeah, there's a it does feel like there's a real edge to uh, the mascots and the predictions this year. I 
I love it. <laughs> I do too. It's absolutely brilliant. It's set up perfectly. Billie Jean, of course, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and top folks. We have Drew, Jamie and Hannah. Hello to the three of you and uh, welcome to executive producer Dum. Well done for being very, very top folks. Uh, and very quickly, Matt... Because we really don't want to miss this plane. <laughs> we got shout outs. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to do three today. We have Anna Keating, who is from Gloucestershire, but at university in Reading. Hey! Oh, bad one to do on a on a time limit because lots to say here. Reading, obviously great. Are you a Reading fan, Anna? Let me know. Um, and Keating, like Ronan. Yes. Keating of lead singer of Boyzone fame, also owns a coffee shop down the road from me in Putney. Next. Right, Anna. Wow. Okay. <laughs> We've got Jonathan Patton, who is fittingly in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, please, could you arrange for the weather to be good for the next three weeks, please, Jonathan? I'd like a sort of 27 degrees sunny, low humidity, please. <laughs> Make oh, I'll it have so. One of those as well. yeah. yeah. All right, Jonathan. And we've got Fee Simpson, who is in Brisbane. Oh, well, my parents used to live in Brisbane for a couple of years. I know it well. They lived in Belimba. Fee, let us know where you're from. Marvellous. Fee, thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you all. For... Thank you, Fee. Thank you to all friends of the Tennis Podcast. You are the reason that we are about to board a plane to Melbourne and David will be doing the same in 24 hours' time. If you would like to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, the link to do so is in our show notes. We are going to go and we will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Travel safely, guys. 